over the next few weeks, we're going to actually ask the Bible readers just to share uh, one thing that's helped them to mature or to grow in their Christian life. So Tara's going to bring our first Bible reading and answer that question, what's one thing that's helped you to grow? Um, well, there's been a, a lot of different things, and I have to give this quite a bit of thought. I was telling Paul, but I think the most important thing has actually been surrounding myself with the right people. Uh, I've thought about a lot of different experiences, but it was always surrounded by people either at church or at university or by my husband or friends, people that are, good, are strong Christians that just influence you in so many ways that you don't realize just by having the right conversations by talking about what was uh, talked about at church uh, by making sure that you show up to things it seems really small but all those things have been really important in growing my maturity excellent so our first reading is from ecclesiastes it's chapter 2 verses 17 to 26 and you'll find this on page 473 of the church bibles So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun, for a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This, too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one, to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Our second reading comes from Colossians. You'll find that on page 834 of your Pew Bibles. Colossians chapter 3 and beginning from verse 22. That's page number 834. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This evening, if you've not had the chance of meeting before, my name's Mark. Uh, normally at this point I'd be saying, can you keep open one of those passages with, that we just read and we'd be looking at it closely, uh, but I'm not going to say that tonight. Rather, can I say, grab your news sheet 
uh, grab a pen. There are an abundance of pens. If there's one uh, in your row, if you've got three or four of them, why don't hand it to the people who are near you? Uh, the reason I say that is for the next few weeks, at least three of the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the topic of work and things associated with work. And rather than sticking in one particular passage and looking closely at it, we'll be listing a number of them and I won't be giving you time to look them up. Uh, and so I want to jot them down so that later on you can have a look at them, read them and make sure what I've said about work and more importantly what God says about work uh, is true and accurate. Um, it's hard, isn't it? Once you've picked up that newsletter this week, it's, it's like a book, isn't it? Uh, and you've ended up with all these extra bits of paper. Ignore them for the moment uh, and focus just on that blank side of the newsletter. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you that you're a good and gracious God. Uh, We thank you that you're a God who gives good things to us. Uh, We thank you for your word that helps us make sense of not just who you are, but who we are, and helps us make sense of this world. Uh, And Father, we pray that now as we turn to think of you and your ways and what you have said about work and our lives, uh, that you would give us humble hearts, that we'd be willing to hear what you say, and by your spirit we'd be transformed in the way we think and act that we would live lives that please and honour you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, We just had read to us from Ecclesiastes uh, and what it said to us about something of the the frustration of work. Uh, And it's still a common experience. Uh, Jack worked all his life for one insurance company. Uh, He worked hard, he made a name for himself, he made good money. Uh, He found satisfaction in his work. Uh, The day after he retired, though, he actually returned to the office to to clean it out, only to find the file of a a pet project he'd been working on already junked. Uh, Leanne is the mother of two young children. Uh, She and her husband both work long hours, good jobs, uh, while the children do long hours in the daycare centre. And they they feel something of a a weight and burden of their large mortgage, and and while her job is satisfying, Leanne can't rid of get rid of those kind of feelings of guilt uh, about not having enough time for her children. Uh, Steve is a highly successful lawyer. Uh, He's well paid because, well, he works hard. Uh, Sometimes 70, 80 hours a week at certain seasons. Uh, He has a nice apartment, which essentially he uses to visit and sleep. Uh, People at work respect him. People at work listen to him. Uh, He has a good name and he enjoys that. Uh, Work is everything to him because he's too busy to find essentially anything else to do. Uh, Rob works long hours as well uh, in a job that is so mindless and so unsatisfying he hates the sound of the alarm at 5am every morning. He just counts down the minutes and hours to the weekend. Uh, Tim, uh, he would like even a mindless job. He was retrenched 18 months ago and it just gets harder and harder to find a job. Uh, and he's sick of the knockbacks and he's sick of applying. Uh, Lisa gave up paid employment after her first child was born and she loves her kids and her husband and her husband really supports what she does, caring for the children full time. But when she catches up with old friends, especially old work friends, they don't really talk to her anymore, they just talk down to her. At least that's how she feels. Uh, she works hard to be a good mum, but she, she misses that, that respect, she misses that that sense of competency that she used to have when she was in paid work. Now, the stories could go on. Uh, Your story could be told. Now, at times, our our experience of work seems to be this this massive contradiction, doesn't it? There's the the joy and the massive frustration. 
Uh, it fills our lives. If someone worked, let's just say they worked exactly eight, hour, uh, eight hours a day, five days a week, and of course, you know, who actually does that? But let's say that you did, you would still spend nearly 40% of your waking hours at work. And that doesn't, you know, account for what we're really doing at work, and, and it doesn't take into account the travelling time to and from work, and it doesn't take into account the chores that are at home when we get back there, or the voluntary work we might choose to do. And you know, as Christians here tonight, or at least as people who are coming, perhaps you're not a Christian, but you're at least interested in what it is to be a Christian. Um, as Christians here tonight, uh, we live following Jesus. That is, we, we live with him as the single most important thing in our life. Now, Jesus is the Lord. He's, he's the one who directs all our affairs. He directs us in everything. And so what does it mean for that most consuming activity that we're involved in? So we can quote a verse that we uh, just looked at in Colossians, Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. But what does that mean? What does that mean for that, that big slab of life we label work? Now, not everything it can or will be said about work from God's perspective tonight, but hopefully there's going to be enough said tonight uh, to fuel conversations. Uh, to hopefully there'll be enough said that you can start thinking a little more deeply about work and chatting with one another. Uh, we heard a good plug from Tara about the value of the people you hang around with for maturing you. So make the most of that in light of this. Uh, tonight, there are two particular questions we want to consider. What is work and why work? And I want you to take a moment before I keep going to finish this sentence on the back of your news sheet. Work is. Go for it now. You won't have to call it out. Don't worry. But grab that pen, grab that news sheet. Work is. Figure by now you've at least got something on the paper or if you don't have paper, that imaginary bit of paper in your mind. You've completed that sentence, work is. Um, as I said, you're not going to have to read that out, but you could have answered that question, you could have finished that sentence in a few ways. But your answer really matters because how you finish that sentence will shape how you work, it will shape why you work. Now, one possibility is uh, you could have finished the sentence by describing work. Uh, we could highlight its features. Um, work is a chore. Work is satisfying. Work is a means to an end. Uh, when the Bible does that, when the Bible chooses to describe work, uh, it says, first of all, that work is fundamentally good uh, because God alone is good and God is a worker. So his two greatest works are creation and salvation. So John's Gospel in John 1, uh, it opens with these words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. That is, everything in creation uh, is the work of God. Nothing exists that isn't the result of his handiwork. And it's a good work, 
because it is life to the full. That's what God has made, life to the full. Creation is not, not just functional. It doesn't just work. It's actually beautiful. It's enjoyable. We don't just have to eat. We get to enjoy eating things that actually taste good. Uh, you know, the colour, the variety, the, the intrigue of creation. God is a worker and he's a great worker at that. Now, and that same word that created, that God spoke, well, that word became flesh in Jesus. And he works to give new life, salvation. Uh, as Jesus said in John 5.24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He is crossed over from death to life. As God speaks, he works. He creates, he, he makes new creation. And God made us to be workers. So in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, God commissions humanity. Uh, Genesis 1.28 God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then you read on and in Genesis 2 verse 15, we read that the Lord God uh, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Work is good. God is a worker and he made us to work his creation and take care of it. Now, we grumble about work, we all do it, and yet we're geared to do it. Uh, a man I know uh, took early retirement and what I've seen in him is him rapidly age because he's not doing what he's made for. You know, without the necessity to work, he's, he's at kind of like a, a such loose end, it seems bad for his health and it's noticeable. Uh, Australia as a nation is facing a coming, what they've described as a grey tsunami uh, following after nations like Japan. Uh, so our current you know, population growth, our explosion, is not due to increased birth rates. We're not giving birth to more children, uh, but actually by, uh, because of increased life expectancy. So it's not that we're, we're not breeding like bunnies in Australia, it's just that we're not dropping like flies. We just keep living longer and longer, uh, which means that you know, Australians have to keep working longer. And in the 1950s, there were 16 paid workers for every retiree. We are moving at the moment to three, and when all the baby boomers retire, there will be two paid workers for every non-worker. We need to work longer, and that's actually good. But this isn't the only description the Bible has for work. Yes, work is good, but the Bible also says and describes work as cursed. You know, we experience that mixture of pain and pleasure because we experience work after the fall. So in Genesis 3.17, And to Adam God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. I know two songs about mining. I don't think there are that many more songs out there beyond two, but you can come and tell me them later. But I know two songs about mining that capture that experience of work beautifully. One is by the Seven Dwarfs. Hi-ho, hi-ho. It's off to work we go and cheery whistle. I don't whistle very well. You can fill it in. Uh, They also sang another song, you whistle while you work. Uh, They capture something of the delight, the joy. Work can bring pleasure and satisfaction. Uh, The other mining song I know goes like this. You load 16 tonnes and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. That is, it captures that dark side of work. 
You know, he works this long day, he moves his 16 tonnes and he's only got ageing to show for it. He can't afford to, to go to St Peter, that is, he can't afford to die yet because his soul is still owned by the company, he hasn't paid them back. You know, work is pain. Ecclesiastes in, in the Bible's wisdom literature captures that experience, that frustration. We, the, the writer saw the meaninglessness of working hard only to, to die and have some fool squander your life's work. What a waste. His conclusion in Ecclesiastes 2, 23, uh, 22 and 3. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labours under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. I'm sure you've laid awake at night thinking about work. You know, it's that frustration, 16 tonnes shifted in a day. And yet he can still, in Ecclesiastes, whistle while he works. Uh, in the following verses, 24 and 5, a man can do nothing better than to eat, drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? That is, under God, he can see and find the delight of good work. Uh, that it's a divine gift. You know, work is good, but it's frustrating. Yeah, and, and that description is going to shape your expectation when you turn up on Monday morning, isn't it? You know, expect work to satisfy you. Expect work to irritate you. Expect to work hard because that's an expression of who you are as the image of God. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, A man who shall not weak work shall not eat. That is, he's not saying if you can't work, then you can't eat. Uh, we're actually supposed to take in the Bible special care of those who can't work, i.e. You know, little children and the elderly, and invalids. You know, Christ esteemed the poor and the weak and infants. But if you can work, you must work. Work is good, and it is right to work hard. But we need to go further than just describe work, don't we? We need to define it. And that's what perhaps some of you did on that scroll you did at the top of your page when you finished that sentence, work is... You know, a definition gives the, the limits of what something is. It gives the limits for us of what real work is and what's excluded. It will shape how you know if you've done a good day's work or, or, or what kind of work you really should be engaging in. If you went to the dictionary, uh, as I did, and looked up work, you might get a definition like uh, any action requiring effort, effort or difficulty to do. The trouble with a definition like that is it says, well, if I've got some joy out of it, that's not really work. It discounts it and you know, it has to be painful. No, no, no. Another definition from the dictionary says it's a means of gaining one's livelihood. And again, if you said that's, that's the sum total of work, it would, by implication, mean that the, the only quality, the only value of your work is measured purely on economic scale, on, on how much money you made for it. You know, by implication, voluntary work isn't even work by that scale. Uh, let me suggest to you a definition that I've used for work. Uh, before and it's still not nearly as catchy as I would like it to be and so perhaps there can be a little competition going you can um, you know, put on your response slip later a better way of putting this um, my definition, work work is sharing God's good gifts to build communities of love yeah, work is sharing God's good gifts to build communities of love that is a, the definition flows from who God is and how he works See, fundamentally, God is perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, and, and they live in such perfect love and service of each other that they are, they are one. And each member of the Trinity 
uh, works to serve and love the other. And we, we who are the image of God, are geared to, to reflect those loving relationships. Our, our work has to reflect uh, what we are designed to be, people in, in, in mutually loving communities. It also captures something of why God works and his works in creation and salvation. In both of them, he gives of himself to build loving communities. You know, in the new creation of heaven, we'll, we'll see that fully, we'll see it completely expressed, perfectly loving communities. You know, it's a definition that builds on the, the assumption of God's two great commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. That's what if you can remember uh, our motto as a church, what we stand for, living like Jesus, loving like Jesus, living for Jesus. I should say. Uh, a lecturer of mine helpfully put it, an act is only right and only right if it promotes mutual love relationships with God and humans. That it's all about creating love in communities. You know, work is sharing those gifts God has give us, given to us that we might produce it. And if you get that, it'll have great implications for your work. Now, it'll change why you work. Now, if you start saying, I'm, I'm working to build communities of love, uh, yes, there are all sorts of good byproducts that flow from it, but you won't become obsessed with them. See, our problem so often with work is, is we take the side effect of that purpose of work and we make it the main reason. And that's what frustrated the writer of Ecclesiastes. Uh, you can read through Ecclesiastes later, uh, but three brief lessons he picked up. Uh, first, he worked out that work is not to make a name for yourself, though it can achieve it. So in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 4 to 7, he takes on these great projects. Uh, he, he does things greater than anyone in the history of Jerusalem, but it's still frustrating. You know, those who've you know, been through unemployment or retirement or, or full-time parenting, they will know that your reputation gets affected, or at least you feel it is. But reputation is a good, good byproduct, but not the purpose of work. That's not what you work for. And if you work, if you're here tonight and you work driven just to build a name for yourself, stop it. You've missed the point. The second thing he learnt was that work is not to consume. Uh, again, though it can achieve it. In, in Ecclesiastes 2.10, he said, I denied myself not, not my, nothing my eyes desired. Uh, I refused my heart no pleasure. Now, apparently, um, it's the case that primitive societies only need to work two hours a day to have enough to survive. Uh, we, with all our technological advances, work, well, let's say, many more hours than two a day. You know, I, personally, I'm a, I'm a terrible shopper. I go to Woolworths on the occasions that um, Anna is unable to because really she's good at it. Uh, and I get into the aisle and I kind of, I get crippled, I get paralysed by the amount of choice that we have. It's kind of, oh, olives. There's like seven brands of olives. What type of olive am I supposed to get? And it takes me a ridiculous amount of time. Uh, and yet I still love consumption. I still love having things. Now, enjoying God's good gifts and his generosity, that's, that's still good, but it's, it's not the purpose of work. Now, if your greatest drive in work is just to bankroll your consumption, stop it. You've missed the point. The third thing he learnt is that work is not for self-fulfilment. Though I can achieve that too. Uh, again, in verse 10 of Ecclesiastes 2, my heart took delight in all my work and this was the reward for all my labour. You know, he'd done that kind of self-fulfilment thing. Uh, I heard uh, some interviews on the radio of Lifeline counsellors. Uh, many did voluntary work uh, because 
largely they weren't in paid employment, so I have to do something, so they did volunteer. And all talked about this sense of satisfaction. And that's a great thing. Um, you know, again, it's a good thing to find satisfaction and fulfilment in work. You know, company loyalty is uh, dead from both sides. And as employees, we wander around looking for job satisfaction. Yeah, and yeah, it's great. Work is fulfilling, but, but that's not the purpose. And again, if, if self-satisfaction is what you are having as your biggest goal in work, you need to repent. Ecclesiastes 5 goes on and talks about there is a place for enjoying work within its limits. You know, we can enjoy work. We, we can take its good side effects when we receive them thankfully as a gift of God, but we mustn't turn that byproduct into the purpose. Instead, we work like God. We work like God and serve relationships. Uh, there's a bunch of New Testament references that potentially are on the screen. Yeah. You can write them down and look them up later. I'm not going to go through all of them. Uh, but they talk about the ways in which there is good work in promoting and building relationships, uh, being independent that we might share and support others and the like, not fall into sin. You know, work is sharing God's good gifts to build communities of love. And if you actively go and do that, if you are willing to live that out, let me give you some benefits. If you're willing to, to not play by the world's standards, uh, I think there are six benefits quickly that will flow to you. First is that work won't have to be everything to you. Now, work is not anymore who you are. Work is a result of who you are. You are the image of God. And if you tonight are here and you are in Jesus Christ, you are the renewed image of God. Your identity and your meaning and your value, they all flow from that reality. And if you invert that order, trying to find meaning from, from an outworking of your identity, you, you're just destined for disappointment. Yeah, but if you can keep those byproducts of work in their right place, there's great joy. You know, personal fulfillment can can move away, job satisfaction can move away from this kind of impossible and idolatrous position of, of being the, the biggest goal. You know, if you get that, it's why uh, a Christian man who was able to speak to me, uh, 23 years he worked for a company and then was retrenched with very little notice, you know, and yet he wasn't devastated. He knew God would provide and he knew who he really was. Secondly, and flowing from that, uh, another benefit is work is not about the pay or prestige. You know, for those of us in our society who are unemployed, uh, retirees, full-time parents, the impression is often given that they're unimportant. Uh, there's a tool that I use for uh, preparation with people uh, for marriage. Uh, it has a questionnaire component. Uh, and for a woman who uh, looks after a household without pay, her only option to tick uh, on a questionnaire like that is unemployed. It doesn't value work like that. Our society misunderstands uh, how important voluntary work is. We're so confused, aren't we? We, we? we get in that impression that the amount you get paid somehow defines what is valuable work. And yet God, the ultimate worker, is never paid. Now, I'm not against money. I'm you know, kind of pro being paid. Uh, you know, workers do deserve their wages, but we mustn't draw this false connection that dollar value is work's real value. All the social esteem, esteem it brings. Uh, if you spend your week Sharing God's gifts in order to promote good relationships, God is pleased whether or not you get a huge amount of money for it. Thirdly, uh, it will help you evaluate a good day's work. You, know, you don't measure it just on just how tired am I? You know, how, how much effort did I put in today? That's not the measure of work. 
uh, it actually includes your, your, your purposes and results. Uh, if, you, if you go with the definition I'm suggesting, it'll help you identify as well uh, forms of work uh, and work practices that are evil. You know, work that is nothing but toilsome and laborious is not good work. You should get out of that. You know, and more obviously, uh, any work that destroys communities of care, that, that breaks down loving relationships, is not valid work. Uh, a few years ago, uh, a German woman had her social security cut because she refused to take a job. Uh, the job was to work in a brothel. See, if work is just putting some effort to make money, the German government would have a case, wouldn't they? But it doesn't. You know, prostitution is not valid work because it destroys communities that love. Fourthly, it ties my work to God's great works of creation and salvation. We're, we're going to talk about that kind of in detail in, in weeks to come. The little I want to say at this point is we're not forced to, to do only work because of either creation or salvation. That is, there's not this big massive divide between kind of secular work and church work and you've got to choose between one or the other, but actually they dovetail and work together. Work done to love people in creation is good and right, uh, but with it we must include a love for people eternally. And, and we need to work at eternal things too. You've got to put effort into to knowing Christ and making him known. That is, you need to be involved in building that, that ultimate community of good, you know, the heavenly kingdom. Uh, we do both. We're engaged in both. Fifthly, it will free you to be selfless. If you work to build communities of love, uh, you, know, you earn money to provide for you know, your family and those in need and have money to share. So the activity of work must, must always point you to consider the needs of others. So when it comes to looking at the next job prospect, the question is never how will that position advance me and position me better, but how will that position help me to serve others better. It means that uh, you know, I do work to, to serve relationships, not myself and not the company store. And, and if you believe that, that work and relationships are somehow in opposition and they need balancing, uh, you know, if you believe that uh, in work is excitement and, and work is making a mark and, and building a reputation, getting fulfilment, and alternatively if you think that you know, home is drudgery and chores and routine and sacrifice, then then work will always win and work will become selfish. You know, in that kind of instance, married men will be tempted to become workaholics and they'll avoid home and they'll, they'll send off their wives to get paid work, assuming if, if they have children, their unpaid work's less valuable. And, and women, e even women who see their primary work at home, will feel like social outcasts. And I'd suggest singles will feel even more trapped uh, because friendships aren't afforded in our society the same value as family is. You know, so it's, it is hard for someone who is married to tell the boss, oh, I've got to go home and see the kids. It's even harder for a single person to say to the boss, oh, I've got to go home and catch up with my friends. You know, we need to remember that the freedom to, to work is actually to serve relationships. You know, even uh, secular wisdom acknowledges no one lies on their deathbed wishing they'd spent more time at the office. Sixthly, it will make your work outstanding or at least it'll make it stand out. Uh, because we work to build loving communities, uh, we will stand out from others we work with. You know, we will be the submissive workers. We will submit to God's pattern of creation. So in, in Proverbs 24, 27, it says, finish your outdoor work, get your fields ready. After that, build your house. I.e., we work smart. You, know, you deal with the source of income before you have your place to rest. Uh, there is nothing God, uh, godly about being, being lazy, 
or shoddy workmanship or being stupid in the way that we work. You know, we submit to the patterns of creation that God's put in. And you know, as we've seen in Romans recently, in Romans 13, we, we, we submit and acknowledge that our bosses have been put there by God. And so we go beyond obedience for show. We go beyond submission just so that the boss sees me and commends me. You know, when, when the boss is not around, we don't slander or mock or hold them in disdain. And so our work will end up standing out. We will be outstanding workers. We will be smarter and better and more gracious because we work for a different purpose and a greater boss. You know, that's what Colossians 3 is saying, working with all your heart, working for the Lord. You know, so what can we say to, to Jack as he returns uh, in retirement to see his life work shredded? You know, what do we say to someone like Leanne? She's juggling long hours at the office and the complexities of raising children. What, what do we say to those friends we have who are struggling with it? We give them the comfort of Colossians 3. You know, working for the Lord who made us and loves us. Now, we're never going to be free entirely of the curse of work, but we can be relieved of much of the frustration if we understand who we're working for and our connection to him. Now, you probably need to come up with something a little catchier than my suggestion if you're going to pass that around to others of working, sharing God's gifts in order to build communities of love, but, but pass on that essence, that comfort to others who are around us. Like, like all of creation, work is meant to glorify God and we glorify him as we imitate how he works and why he works. You know, the most invisible, the most mundane jobs can have great value. So as you go to supper, as you spend some time thinking through your work, be clear about who you work for. That's the heart of Colossians 3, isn't it? You know, who you work for is why you work. You know, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank and praise you that you are a worker and a good worker at that. We praise you for your great work of creation and even more for that wonderful work of salvation. Father, we ask that both in the joys and frustrations of work, you would help us to work not for ourselves, but for you. Help us to work as people who work with our whole heart to build communities of love. Help us in every part of our life to give it over to you, that you might be glorified and we might find the joy of living your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.